You're listening to a teaching series by Cross Culture Church of Christ. If you'd like any more information about our church, head to crossculture.net.au. Feel free to share this podcast with others, but please don't alter the content in any way. We hope you enjoy it. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, It's great to be in church this morning. My name's Sam. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to uh, help us as we all uh, sit under God's Word this morning and uh, listen to what He says to us uh, through this great sermon that Jesus preached, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This series is called A Radical Life, and uh, today we're talking about radical relationships from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. So if you could open your Bible up there, that would be great. Uh, One of the big issues in any group of people, uh, whether it's in a marriage or a family or a tribe at school and uni, or a work team, or your life group, or a ministry that you might be involved in, or even in our church at large, is relationships. Uh, I was reading a recent survey of uh, returned missionaries exploring why they had left uh, their field of work. And uh, it's very interesting. These are the top reasons that came out in descending order. So not feeling well cared for, a conflict with colleagues, feeling a lack of integrity in other people. Uh, You'll notice the common thread in those things, they're all relational, aren't they? They're to do with relationships uh, with other people. Relationships matter a lot to us, don't they? Uh, And the reason is very simple. Uh, We are created in God's image and God is relational. God has revealed himself as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So even within the Godhead, uh, they're relational. And so God designed us in his own image uh, basically for love, to love him uh, and to love one another in our relationships. Um, And, of course, Jesus says these are the two big priorities in life, didn't he? When somebody asks him what's the most important thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. It's relational. So it's not surprising as uh, Jesus unpacks what being in his family, being in 
the kingdom being under his rule looks like uh, that this idea of relationships gets a fair bit of airtime. And what Jesus says here actually is truly radical, as we'll see when we get to verse 12. It was a radical idea at the time and it still is. So what do these radical relationships look like? So four points on your outline if you're following on page two. Um, Firstly, they're not condemning. They're not condemning. Judge not that you be not judged, Jesus says. Seems to be a blanket rule, doesn't it? Don't judge at all, ever. Uh, Now, some people have taken it that way. Tolstoy uh, says this, Christ totally forbids the human institution of any law court. He's saying that in this verse, Jesus says, no, no judgment of anyone anywhere ever is allowed. Uh, Now, of course, Jesus is not talking about the context of the law court and how society organises itself to deal with offenders. Uh, He's talking in this about, specifically about relationships within his kingdom, within his family, and how we relate to one another. More specifically, he's talking about how we relate, how I relate to another believer uh, who I think has a problem. And Jesus says, judge not. Uh, Does Jesus mean here that we are totally to suspend our critical faculties and never make any evaluation uh, of others and situations? Um, Never to discern between truth and error and never to make up our minds about good and evil. Well, I don't think he is saying that. If, if, if he is saying that, then he wasn't very good at it himself. Uh, Jesus, there were people that Jesus called to their face, your whitewashed tombs or you're like snakes or you're in, later in verse 6, pigs and dogs. Uh, so it can't mean that we never make an evaluation of anything or anyone ever. Um, so what is Jesus forbidding? Well, he's forbidding that kind of attitude where we set ourselves up as condemners of other people, where we set ourselves up as witness, prosecutor, judge, jury, and we condemn people. Uh, The word judge here is in the present continuous tense, so it indicates a kind of attitude where this is ongoing, where this is a lifestyle, a habit, where we reserve the right to condemn our Christian brother or sister. In Romans 14, uh, where Christians were judging fellow believers over their diet, uh, Paul said this, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Uh, So Paul is saying there that every believer is accountable to God and we are not to condemn one another. So here's the rub. There's only one judge who has the right to condemn and that's God himself. Uh, You remember the story of Joseph? Uh, His brothers hated him and they wanted to get rid of him. Uh, And so they sell him off to passing slave traders Uh, and he ends up being a slave Uh, and eventually ends up in prison through false accusations and lies and and, and, uh, slander. And he goes through all sorts of things and he's languishing there in prison. Finally, he gets out and uh, and God gives him a position in the country that he's enslaved in uh, of great authority. And one day his brothers are before him, begging for their lives. They don't know that it's him. What does Joseph do? He's got them. And he's got the tools of their destruction at his disposal. 
and could have quite justly put them to death. What does he do? They're in the electric chair. He's got the remote button. It's so interesting what he says. Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, God is the judge. Uh, You are my brothers. You're not my slaves. Uh, You are answerable to God for what you've done. You're not answerable to me. What a fantastic example that God has given us in his word. Uh, We had a, a great example a few weeks ago in Sydney when this couple lost three of their kids uh, through the stupidity of a drunken driver who rode up onto the curb at great speed and ran over their three kids and killed them on the spot. Listen to what Lila Abdullah said. We forgive the driver that killed our innocent children. His actions will be met before the earthly and heavenly judge. We have decided in our hearts to forgive him for the sake of our children and more so for the sake of Christ. You see what's happening here with Lila, Abdullah and husband Danny? They're saying, God is the judge. This is not our role to stand up and say, we need capital punishment to get rid of vermin like this, as people do say, don't they? Put him in jail and throw the key away. And what she's saying, she's, she's being very Christ-like, isn't she? This is actually not my job to judge them. That is totally in God's hands. It is my job to offer grace. Um, Jesus, the Son of God, didn't come to condemn the world but to save it and to give his life a ransom for many. Friends, we need to follow in Jesus' footsteps. It is not our role to be continually judging and condemning people. Uh, He and he alone will come and will judge at the right time. Uh, If we don't leave it to God, then we will be judged by our own standards. That's what Jesus says next. Uh, The things that we've expected of others will be expected of us. The judgment you pronounce, will be, you, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The same condemning criteria that we use on other people will be used and applied to us. Uh, that's a frightening thought, isn't it? So what do we do in the light of this? Well, Jesus tells us, doesn't he, in verses 3 to 5, examine yourself, examine yourself. And what Jesus is really saying here is that we're disqualified from the position of judge and condemner in our relationships because we ourselves are sinners. We ourselves have fallen short. Um, And very often the thing we want to judge other people about is the thing that we've fallen short in ourselves. That's one of the quirks of human nature, isn't it? You get really annoyed with somebody who's sinning in a way that we've really struggled with and continue to struggle with. That's a, that's a warning light, by the way. Ask yourself, what are the things I get most angry about? And, and then ask yourself, gee whiz, is that a problem I've got? Is that why I'm getting really angry about it? It's a very good question to ask. And Jesus uh, actually says what you need to do with this judge that is within all of us is put that judge to work in judging ourselves and examining our own shortcomings, our own failings. Uh, So he says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but don't 
Notice the log that's in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? It's a ridiculous illustration, isn't it? Of a bloke who's got a great plank sticking out of his eye and he's offering to take a speck out of somebody else's eye. You imagine anything more ridiculous? How's he even going to get near that person with that great plank of wood out of his eye? How's he going to see anything? How's he going to be able to do anything? And so Jesus rightly says, take the plank out of your own eye. We need to be people who are, have a healthy self-examination of ourselves. When we see one, somebody sinning, uh, our first reaction ought not to be, I need to straighten them out. Our first reaction should be, whoa, am I doing that? Am I doing that? To what extent am I doing that? Or maybe I've conquered in that area, but what's my other sin? What, what's it, what, what are the sins I'm grappling with? Jesus is saying, ask yourself that question. The Christian saved by grace will always think, there but for the grace of God go I. Except for the grace of God and the mercy of God, I would probably be doing that thing if I'm not already doing it. So Jesus says, you hypocrite, Take the log out of your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly. Notice that Jesus doesn't forbid us totally from going to our brother or sister. But he does say that it should only be after dealing with the planks in our own eye, removing our, dealing with our own sins in our own life, uh, not in order to go and condemn them, but in order to go and help them. Uh, so examine yourself, uh, then you'll be able to possibly help others if it's appropriate. So, not condemning. Secondly, discerning. Verse 6 uh, goes like this. Don't give dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So after having told us not to judge and, and, and condemn and but to be careful to get the planks out of our own eyes, he does tell us actually that there are certain people who act like animals, more like pigs and dogs than humans. And we need to be careful how we relate to these people and what we put in front of them. And this provides a healthy balance, doesn't it, in the context. So we're not to be the kind of people who just say, oh, well, never, never mind, everyone's awesome, and, and we, we never actually confront or, or, or deal with uh, good or evil. Um, Spurgeon said this about this passage. He said, the saints are not judges, but they are not simpletons either. <laughs> they, we, we actually face a real world. Um, so if after we've removed the plank from our own eye, cleaned up our own act, and we're able to help others to deal with the specks in their eyes, we need to be very discerning about that. Uh, not everyone will appreciate it. And taking a speck out of your eye can be painful. Not everybody is grateful for that kind of criticism and correction. The book of Proverbs uh, says that that's one of the differences between a, a, a fool and a wise person. Uh, don't rebuke a mocker or he'll hate you, but rebuke a wise man uh, and he will love you. Rebuke a wise person and they'll love you. Rebuke a mocker and they will hate you. So there's a lot of wisdom needed to discern the difference. So that's one level of meaning here, but let's dig a bit deeper uh, who are these dogs and pigs? Uh, they're not ordinary animals uh, or domestic, cute domestic pets. Um, that's my daughter's new puppy, Maggie. Um, Jesus is not talking about this kind of animal. 
He's talking more about this kind here, who wild dogs who roam around and, and raking through muck and, and pigs as well who rake through muck all the time and, and that's where they get their food from and they fight each other over it. Uh, this is the kind of uh, image that Jesus is using from their time. Um, it's also, though, he's talking about don't give pearls to pigs. What does that mean? I mean, not many of us would think of doing that. Uh, it's connected to a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus tells a parable about the pearl of great price. There's one thing that we need to give everything to get that's in the parable and that's, that's the good news of Jesus, the, the, the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, don't put that in front of pigs and dogs. You know, you, you put pearls in the pig's food and they're going to... They'll, they'll get it in their mouth. Well, oh, that's a bit crunchy. That's not. That's not a. That's not wheat or, or barley. And they spit it out, and it gets in with the muck and the mud, and they trample on it. And so, what Jesus is saying that we need to be discerning as we offer this pearl of great price, the good news of Jesus, uh, to others. Um, the apostles ran into this problem in Acts chapter thirteen in Antioch. Uh, where they were telling the good news, uh, uh, firstly to the Jews, their Jewish brothers and sisters, um, but they rejected the message and became abusive. And Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you at first. Since you reject it and don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. Now, this does not mean that they never, ever had anything to do with them again. Shaking the dust off your feet is symbolic of it's making a statement that these people, by rejecting the good news of Jesus, are not amongst the people of God. They think they are. And what the apostles are doing is saying, by rejecting Christ, by rejecting this message, it's very clear that you are not amongst God's people. Because the shaking the dust off the feet was what Israelites did when they went through foreign country and as they came back into their own country, they would shake the dust off their feet in symbolism that the place where they'd been, these people were outside the people of God. And so it's a very clear thing saying, if you reject this pearl, if you reject Jesus, you, have, you are not one of God's people. And so what Jesus is saying here is if, if we keep... If we keep offering this wonderful pearl uh, to people like that, eventually it can cheapen that good news. And uh, if they just trample it underfoot and they keep wallowing in the muck that they're in and mix it in with that, uh, then there's no point in persisting. I don't think we strike this problem very often. Um, I think usually our problem is, or my problem is, I'm not sharing the good news enough with people who are not going to do that, let alone people who are going to do it. Um, I remember uh, going door knocking in Western Sydney uh, and uh, getting some reactions though like this. I remember once I knocked on the door and I said, hello, I'm from the local church, just come to talk to people about Jesus, are you interested? The bloke had opened the door about this much. Uh, when I said that, he opened the door really wide. I thought, oh, wow, he's going to invite me in. And uh, then he said, I don't want no um, beep, 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 Christ. 
and slammed the door as hard as he could in my face. Uh, needless to say, I went to the next house. I didn't knock on the door again. And I think this is what Jesus is saying. You get a reaction like that. It doesn't mean you would never go back again to that person. It does mean that you keep praying for them and, 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 and asking that God would break through that somehow. Uh, so we need to uh, be aware of this. I think this is particularly important online uh, these days. In social media, people say all sorts of stupid things they wouldn't say to your face. And sometimes if people are trashing the gospel online, uh, sometimes a good thing to go, if you can, private message them and say, I notice you're really angry about this. Uh, you know, is there a reason why? And if they trash you again, you say, okay, I'll give up on that one. If it's somebody you know, you may maybe say, oh, let's meet up. I notice, you know, you're saying things online. You seem to be really upset. Can we, can we meet up and talk about it? And sometimes you get a lot further uh, in that situation than when uh, people are playing to an audience. So don't condemn, be discerning. And uh, the next one is be God-dependent. Uh, it's very interesting what Jesus says in verses uh, 7 to 11. We need to remember it follows on from verses 1 to 6, naturally enough. But being discerning and not being judgmental, uh, that's quite hard, isn't it? How can you do that? Or how can we help each other to become, become more like Jesus uh, without giving the message that I'm condemning you for, uh, for what you need to work on? Or more importantly, how can we remove the planks from our own eyes? How can we be aware, actually, of our own blind spots and shortcomings, our own sins? Uh, well, that's what Jesus talks about next. He says, ask, ask, and it will be given you. Seek and you'll find, knock and it'll be open to you. The kind of wisdom and sensitivity that we need uh, to deal with our own shortcomings, our own sins, to repent of them and confess them, it comes from God, doesn't it, from his spirit. And the kind of wisdom that we need to relate to one another in a way that's going to not destroy one another but help one another's growth, we do need to ask God's help. Uh, we do need to seek his answers in his word. Uh, we do need to keep knocking on his door. Now notice that all these three things, ask, seek, knock, they're all postures of humility, aren't they? They start with the thinking that I don't have the answer to this. I need to ask. I need to seek God's plan and purpose in this situation. I need to knock on God's door. Actually, I need to persist with this. That's what Jesus is saying. Persist with it. Um, like the child who's looking for mum or dad and to ask them something and they can't find them. So they look all around the house, go out in the yard and finally they find, you know, the, the shed door at the back's shut from the inside. Dad's out there doing something or other. And what do they do? They knock on the door. Dad, open, open the door. I want to talk to you. I want to ask you something. And you see the picture Jesus is using here? Persist in seeking God's help, God's wisdom. Uh, and the, the promise that Jesus makes there is so wonderful, isn't it? Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. The one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. These are amazing promises, aren't they? I think we generally apply this when we're thinking about a job or our lack of money or a spouse or something. But actually in the context here, it's about asking for these kind of 
radical relationship things that come so hard to us, asking for God's help uh, for those things. And then Jesus goes on with this parent-child kind of illustration. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Those of us who are parents want the best for our kids, don't we? And sometimes we, in that quest, we do things that are not right, uh, that are... Jesus calls it evil, actually. You know, putting greater expectations on our kids than than we have for ourselves and all of that kind of stuff. But Jesus says, you guys give good things to your kids, even though you're you're imperfect, you're evil. How much more will your perfect heavenly Father uh, give good things to those uh, who ask him? Now, notice here that Jesus doesn't say that God will give you everything you want. Uh, He says that God will give you good things. He will give you every good thing that you need to get safely home into his kingdom forever. That's what this means in this context. Every good thing. In fact, the Apostle Peter, one of the ones who's listening to this sermon, said God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Uh, That's a wonderful truth. Um, So radical relationships, uh, they don't condemn, they're discerning, uh, they're God-dependent and finally they're actively loving, actively loving. Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We call this the golden rule, don't we? Now some say, oh, this is in every religion. Jesus was just copying something else. Uh, that was there earlier on. Actually, if you look at the statements like this that were earlier on, I'll look at a couple of them. Uh, This is from the Jewish Talmud. It says, the Babylonian Talmud, it says, what is harmful to you, do not do to your fellow. Okay, what's harmful to you, don't do it to your fellow man. Uh, Confucius said, do not impose on others what you do not wish for yourself. Now, notice anything about these two statements there? They're actually written in the negative, aren't they? It starts with do not. In other words, if you, if you don't like being bashed on the head, don't go and bash other people on the head. If you don't like being robbed, don't steal. Um, but what Jesus says is actually far more radical than that, isn't it? It's actually about actively doing good to the other person. It's not just about refraining from harming them. It's actually about actively seeking uh, to do good, to do what's good for their benefit, for their growth as people. And what does this look like in practice? After 40-something years of marriage, I'm slowly learning uh, things like that if I feel like a cup of tea, Janet probably does too. In fact, I know that for a fact now. She, she probably wants three or four of them. Um, <clears throat> if my shoes are wearing out, maybe hers are too. Uh, if I'm feeling tired and wanting to put my feet up, as we do on a Sunday night, I go home dog-tired, I just feel like flopping in an armchair. And, uh, and then Janet says, wouldn't it be nice to have a cup of tea? And unfortunately, my stock standard answer is, um, get one for me while you're there. Um, <laughs> whereas my stock standard answer should be, if I'm doing for others what I wish that they would do for me, I would get up and I would go and get her a cup of tea. 
and say, here, you have worked really hard today too. You have it rested. I'll get it. That's the kind of thing. They're simple things, aren't they? And it's practical. Uh, it's the practical end of the second commandment, isn't it? Love your neighbour as you love yourself. Actively seeking their good. Thinking thoughts about them that, that are good. Speaking with them with, to them with words that are good. And doing actions that are good, that are loving and kind. And Jesus says, this, this sums it up. In fact, this sums up this, uh, these 12 verses, but it also sums up the whole section from 5.17 through to here. In 5.17, he introduces the idea of the law and the prophets. You've heard this, you've heard that. And here he says, this is a summary of the whole thing. Do for others what you wish they would do for you. Uh, friends, in conclusion, uh, in conclusion, uh, what do we do in those situations or relationships where we've made ourselves judges and condemners of others, our brothers and sisters in Christ? What do, we, what do we do with that? Well, half of the gospel is repent. We need to repent of it. It's God's job uh, to judge and condemn. And to take it from him is the ultimate in arrogance and pride. And we need to repent of it. And tell God we're sorry. We're sorry we've taken that role. That is your role. And I've been pretending that I'm God. And I want to stop doing that. I want your help. And where we've hurt others, go and ask their forgiveness. And Jesus warned us, if we don't set this right, on the day of judgment, the standard we've applied to them is going to be applied to us. We're going to be judged by the same standards. Now, if you have trouble conceptualising this, let me encourage you when you go home today, sit down with a piece of paper or a device or something and, and make a list of the expectations that you have uh, of your friends, of your spouse, of your family, of your life group leader, other life group members, elders, pastors, church people, colleagues at work. Write the list down. And then ask yourself this question. If Jesus was to use these criteria on the day of judgment... How would I go? How would this go for me? Would it go well? Because that's what Jesus is saying, this is what we need to do. Otherwise, that criteria will be applied to us and it will be used uh, to condemn us. Uh, have you seen those demolition jobs? You have because I already showed it. <laughs> I used to live in this area under the shadow of their work, under the shadow of that chimney stack. It was the biggest chimney stack in the Southern Hemisphere at one stage, a couple hundred metres high. The day came when it had to be demolished. They got in a team of experts. They put the explosives in place. And uh, there it is, starting to come down. The whole town turned out to watch it. This is in Wollongong. And uh, there it is at stage two. I haven't got a picture of stage three, but three, but crashed to the ground. And in 15 seconds, what had taken years to plan and to build was a pile of rubble. Our friends, let's be builders of one another, not demolishers. Uh, when God has been working since eternity past uh, to give us the righteousness of Jesus, to bring about our forgiveness, uh, to give us our place before him. Friends, let's not in 15 seconds of condemnation, it's all it takes to say one condemnatory sentence, isn't it? Let's not demolish the work that God's done. Let's rather 
build one another up. And if there are problems, friends, let's get alongside one another only after dealing with the planks in our own eyes. Some really healthy self-examination. And that's radical relationships in Jesus' kingdom. Uh, Not condemning, discerning, being God-dependent and actively loving others. Uh, I'm very aware that this is really, really hard work and it requires the power and strength of God's spirit. So let's take space now to respond to what Jesus has said to us today in his word and uh, ask for his help in the areas that we need help in. So let's take time to do that and then I'll lead us in prayer uh, and then we'll be time for some questions. Lord, we ask for your help that uh, we might see the planks that are in our eyes that most of the time we're not aware of. Uh, But, Lord, we know that uh, your spirit convicts, so we ask for your conviction in our lives and we ask for your power and strength uh, to turn away from wrongdoing, uh, turn away from taking your place and condemning others. And, Lord, that we pray that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, Lord, uh, help us to be discerning in how we share your good news uh, and in how we seek to help one another to become more like Jesus. Lord, please help us to be humble before you, to seek your help, to ask, to seek, to knock. We thank you for your promise that uh, you will give, uh, that you will find us. Uh, and that you will answer when we knock. Thank you so much, Lord, for your radical statement that uh, we need to do for others what we would hope and wish that they would do for us. Lord, help us to live that way this week uh, in whatever relationships you have placed us in and even new ones that might happen. Lord, help us to be people who offer grace to others. And we pray this for your honour and glory. Amen. Thanks for that, Pastor Sam. Um, There's a few questions. Um, First one, how do we reconcile Matthew chapter 7, the passage that we're looking at, with 1 Corinthians 5, Mm. um, where Paul seems to have a responsibility, he says, for judging within the church. So um, 1 Corinthians 5.12 says, isn't my, this is Paul speaking, isn't it my responsibility to judge it? It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is, certainly, it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Um, and the scriptures say that you must remove the evil person from among you. So how do you reconcile those two? Yes, very good question. So this is a question of uh, personal relationships versus church discipline. Uh, so uh, Paul is a church leader. In fact, he's planted a lot of churches But it's very interesting how he operates, even in that passage. He calls upon the church to implement this discipline. He challenges the church. He said, when you are together and uh, my spirit is amongst you, this is what you need to do. You need to deal with this man who is practising gross immorality and he's still saying that he's a believer. And in, in that context, you are to deal with that situation. So he's not telling a particular person in the congregation in Corinth, you go and straighten this guy out. So he's, he's appealing to the collective wisdom of God's people and the leadership to handle that. Uh, 
So you get a similar thing in Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And always the objective is to restore the person, not to condemn them. So even in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul says the reason you are to do that is in order that this guy might learn not to sin. And the same thing is in Galatians 6. Uh, so all that Paul says tells us that this needs to be done very carefully, it needs to be done gently, and it needs to be done with the purpose of that the person might be restored uh, to relationship with God uh, and with the people of God. So it's not an instruction to an individual, say, oh, well, Paul could go and judge people and tell them off, I'll go and do that. Um, that's not the case at all. We need to listen to the teaching of Jesus and, and if there's a situation that you think the corporate church should deal with, uh, then bring it to the leadership of the church and, and, and there's a process that can be gone, gone through there uh, that Jesus actually outlines later in Matthew's Gospel. And so he's talking about different animals here. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Um, another question. Thank you for the sermon. If we are unable to help others with the speck out of their eye when we have logs in ours, how could anyone be worthy of helping anyone else when we all have sins, struggles, and fall short of the glory of God? Of course, I'm completely, I completely understand that we should not condemn others, but I would love to help others, but I myself fall so short. Would anyone like me be able to help someone else? Definitely. In fact, that person is the best positioned to help somebody else. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. They, are, they, are, they feel the weight of their own sin. So they're not going to go to that person and say, you filthy rotten sinner, I saw you doing such and such. What are they going to say when they go to that person? They're going to say, look, you know, I've struggled with that. I, or I struggle with other things, but, you know, if you're open to it, I'm happy to talk about this. And I may have got it wrong, actually. I'm actually, what, I've, what I saw uh, may not actually be the reality of what's going on or it may be motivated, motivated by something I'm not aware of. Uh, so I think if you're in that position where you're acutely aware of your sinfulness, you're actually in a good position to help other people because who are the best people to show hungry people where to find food? It's the people who've been really hungry and found the supply. And so we, we, as Christians, we are beggars uh, telling other beggars where they can find food. That, that needs to be our posture uh, if we are going to come alongside somebody else. And notice I'm saying come alongside. Don't sort of <laughs> come over them. Come alongside them. And, uh, you know, actually, if you're at the same level, it is a lot easier to see the speck in the eye as well. Mm. Does that help? Oh, well, you didn't ask it, did you? Somebody else did. <laughs> It helps. <laughs> All right, last question. Um, so relating to not throwing pearls before pigs, and mm. um, how, how, to, how do we understand who is a pig, who is a dog? Um, if, we're not, if we're not to condemn people, mm. how, to, how do we see who is worthy of sharing the gospel with and who should be left alone? Yeah, that's a really good question, isn't it? And I think the answer is in verse 7. Ask, seek, knock. Because there are so many factors that feed into this. 
aren't there? So we need God's wisdom to approach this in the right way. And every situation is different. You know, there are people who have trashed the gospel their whole lives and finally they come to Christ because someone persisted with them. So I think we need God's wisdom in these individual situations to know whether they, they're trampling the gospel underfoot in the first place or whether they've, maybe they've just trashed us and they haven't trashed the gospel yet. Uh, so I think we, we, we need to be on our knees before God saying, God, please help us with this, that we can get this right because we don't want anyone to be left out of your kingdom. And we want to behave in a way that is loving towards that person that ultimately will point them to Christ. So maybe keep on bashing them with your Bible or, or with the gospel is driving them further away. So we need God's help, we need God's discernment uh, in dealing with this. So I think to me in this passage that is clearly why verse 7 follows verses 1 to 6. It's put there for that reason to tell us the answer to that question. Great. Thanks for that, Pastor Sam, and thank you so much uh, for all your questions. Um, if you had any other um, questions that come up to you, please, um, yeah, you can find Sam after service or um, ask them in another time. <laughs>